0: Welcome to the Building Through Him Podcast. I'm Mary Jo Parrish, founder of Kingdom Builders, and today's episode is The Lion and the Lamb. And just so you know, you are always loved and always welcome here. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked upon His handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on, all ages will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear Him. He has shown might with His arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hungry He has filled with good things, the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped Israel His servant, remembering His mercy, according to His promise to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Amen. So in Kingdom Builders, we always talk about our foundation. So we do three things. We pray for a minimum of 10 minutes of day. We take the time to plug into the divine, right? Because we cannot expect to live our lives without being fully charged by the Lord. We go to church on Sunday, because that's a commandment that we honor. And then we stay in a state of grace. So anytime we're struggling with serious sin, we're getting to reconciliation, a self-help group, counseling, whatever we need to do so that we have all the graces that we need to get through our life to be able to live in the divine will. Then we build ourselves, build others, and build the church, but we never do any of that building until we first have our foundation strong. So today's episode is The Lion and the Lamb, but before we get started with that, I want to just talk about a few funny stories. Over Christmas, my son Joseph was in the Christmas program, and I asked him how that was, and he was like, it was pretty good. And I I said, well, I think you are the cutest angel ever. And he got really like judgy and looked at me like super condescending. And he's like, I am not the cutest angel ever. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, that's a really strong reaction. I was like, why not? He's like, that would be Satan. Satan is the most beautiful angel. And I do not want to be Satan. I was like, okay, that's just weird that you know that. But Okay. they pick Our kids pick up on a lot of things, which we have no idea. We did that teaching back in the fall on angels. So he must have heard me talking about Satan being the most beautiful angel before he chose to walk away from God. Yep. And he repeated that to me. I'm like, okay, that's just a little weird, but that's okay. So one of the best things about Christmas is getting ridiculous gifts from your little ones. And the kids are about to leave for school and Sebastian... Five has his hands in his little pocket and his little puffy blue coat and he's smiling up at me and he's like the joyful one. He's always happy. And I'm like, hi, buddy. And he, he says, I got you something for Christmas. And I was like, oh, you did? And he's like, yes. And he said, it goes in your eel. And I'm like, oh, okay. Bill must have taken him out shopping. I could use you know, some new earrings. That's, that's really cute. And then he pulls out of his coat an enormous, dirty, yellow earplug. Like, so gross, dirty, you could barely see the yellow. And I'm like, uh, uh, okay, okay. And he's like, you can queen it. And I'm like, "Oh, okay. So then later on, I asked him, where did you get that earplug, Sebastian? And he's like, <laughs> super excited to tell me this, like a treasure hunter. He's like, at Wises, if you dig in a mulch, you can find things. And I was like, oh, okay. So he got me a huge dirty earplug that had like dirt attached to it because someone else's earwax was on it. It's so gross. And then like keeps it in his pocket and waits to like present it to me as a Christmas gift. So like like the way their little brains work, oh my gosh, it's so entertaining. Just so joyful to be able to experience (laughs) What our kids think would be a great Christmas present. The only thing I can think of is that I do wear earplugs at night because my husband snores. And so I'm like, that's probably what he's thinking of. It's like, I'm going to help mom. I'm going to get a, give her this humongous dirty earplug because it will really block out dad's snoring. So talking about the lion and the lamb, all of us have this natural tendency towards either lion or lamb. So if you've ever been called a bull in a china shop, I am one of those people that's been called that. You're probably more lion. And if you are the one who has arranged the doilies and knows where all the China patterns are and a place of hospitality and warmth, you're probably more lion, okay? You're avoiding the bull that comes in and destroys the China chop. You're like, no. But actually, Jesus desires us to embrace both of these, both lion and lamb. Jesus is both. So he's the lion of Judah. He comes to save us, Right. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. He lays down his life to do this. And he desires us to also embrace both of them. But sometimes in order to do that, we actually have to tackle a different animal first. So my friend Jill, her dad had passed away and he'd been declining for a while. So she'd flown home to help her mom like clean up the house and get things organized. And when she was in the pantry, she was cleaning off the shelves and she noticed the shelf full of what she thought were like fennel seeds or chia seeds. In the midst of trying to clean those off, something furry goes scurrying by and she realizes those are not seeds. She starts screaming and her husband comes in, her mom comes in and, you know, they trap the mouse and they disinfect the pantry, they seal up all the whole, whole areas that trap, you know, get everything figured out. So crisis averted, right? But she's still like bothered by it. Okay. So still bothered about that, ma- that mouse. Later on that evening, when she goes to bed, also at her mom's house, she walks back to the bedroom and she looks inside the bedroom and the carpet has a pattern in the exact same shape of things that are not fennel seeds. It looked like mouse poop all over the floor in a very organized fashion. And she starts screaming again and her mom comes running and she's like, Jill, what's wrong? And she's like, they've infested the bedroom. And she's like, what? And she's like, they're all over the carpet. The mouse poop is all over the carpet. And her mom's like, Jill, that's the pattern in the carpet. She's like, no, it's, it's mouse poop. And so her mom actually has to get on the floor and move the carpet back and forth before Jill can believe that those mice have not infested the bedroom. And she said, Murjo, even after I watched my mom do it, and I logically knew that it was not mouse poop, I still was feeling like it was mouse poop. She was still like living in that trauma. Often when someone has experienced trauma, they view the world from that wounded perspective, very random things they can perceive as insults or threats or, reasons to hide like a scared little lamb or to act out like a rabid lion because they've never healed from the original mouse trauma. And when we experience or we remember a time of persecution, we remember that hurt people hurt people. And often the people who hurt us experience some type of trauma or pain. And from that mouse perspective, they live their life. We know that the ones who need love the most will show it in the most unloving ways. Sometimes we too can be living in that mouse trauma, and often we don't even know it. Most of us have experienced a childhood wound in our life, and for women, we call these mean girl wounds. And sometimes that wound in childhood will keep us from forming deep friendships as adults, especially true with women. So the mean girl wound keeps us from being vulnerable and entering into like a deep relationship with other women because we've been hurt there before. So I was praying with this, how often women tear down other women. Men don't do it the way we do it. Women have a special ability to tear down other women. So if you've ever worked with someone, you could heard people say like, Oh my gosh, they're so catty. And it doesn't, it's not just like limited to like childhood. It continues on through adulthood, right? Men don't do it like us. So why? What, just asking the Lord, like, why is that the way it is? And when I'm praying, I have this image in my mind of all these beautiful diamonds, the crown jewel of God's creation, right? That's, that's us as women. The only thing powerful enough to cut a diamond is another diamond, So women have the ability to cut one another so deeply and yet we have the capacity when united and lifting one another up to bring forth so much radiant life-giving light. And the enemy knows it, right? The enemy works so hard to get women to tear one another down because he wants us working from that mouse trauma. He knows God created us to be interdependent on one another, to be in community with one another. The enemy knows the power that women have, especially when we work in unity and radiate God's love to the world. We become God's light. Jesus wants us to go to this place of vulnerability so he can bring forth more life within us. He's asking us to embrace our Lamb, to focus on the beauty of vulnerability. And in that place of vulnerability, we breathe in God's divine life, both his lion and his lamb. We become stronger, we radiate light to the world as we journey together towards heaven. This is 1 Corinthians 2:9. What eye has not seen, an ear has not heard, what God has prepared. For those who love him. So you heard me talk about lamb, right? Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God. Why? Why is he referred to as the lamb of God? This is John 129. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What a weird thing to say to like this holy guy walking towards you. Why would John call Jesus a lamb of God? Why wouldn't he call, call him like a horse of God, like something strong and mighty, an elephant of God? Like, why does he say lamb of God? That's like, lambs are really actually kind of like weak, you know? Why would he call Jesus that? Because the people surrounding John at that moment were the Jewish people. They knew Old Testament, right? They knew that a covenant between God and humanity is always, always accompanied by a sacrifice. They also knew that the blood of an unblemished lamb protected the Israelites during Passover. John knows all this, right? So what's he doing here? John the Baptist is announcing in that moment that Jesus is the covenant in person. God took on flesh and became man to be a sacrifice that would save us from sin and death. Jesus chose to become a lamb in order to become our lion. Revelations 5.5 Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. So Jesus calls us fortunate. When we share in the same suffering as him, that's where the Beatitudes come from, blessed are those. Blessed is actually translated as like fortunate like the gods. Calls us fortunate when we share in the same suffering he went through. Many have been called fortunate and suffered insult, persecution, torture, and death for the faith, right? Those are martyrs. Those are our martyrs. Martyr means witness, Their life and death witness to all the victory of the Lamb. They're saying, like, you're worth it. Like, I give you everything I am. You're worth it. I will never forsake your name. I give you all of my life. I go through the torture, the persecution, the death. No matter what, it's all yours. We honor some of those martyrs and saints, both preceding and after the the completion, during the consecration of the Eucharist. So, When a priest chooses a Eucharistic prayer, he can choose the Roman canon, and he has the option of reciting a short list of saints before and after the sacred words of consecration. So he begins with the living members of the church, right? And then he calls us into communion with Mary, Joseph, the 12 apostles, popes, priests, deacons, martyrs. This is from Neil Roy. Then Christ, through the consecratory petition and words of institution, takes his place at the very center of Eucharistic prayer. After the consecration, the priest will recite another list of saints. John the Baptist, right? Seven male martyrs, seven female martyrs, And then the priest will hold up the Eucharist to announce in the same words of John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Right? The priest is actually repeating John the Baptist's words. So we know that the Son of God, Jesus, took on human flesh. He is the unblemished Lamb of God. We know that Jesus voluntarily lays down his life and offers himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He offers us his very self, as body and blood. And that act is so holy that our saints cradle each side of the consecration. That act is so holy that our saints cradle each side of the consecration. They illuminate the way to the Savior. St. John of the Cross tells us, The endurance of darkness is the preparation for great light. So we're called to be both lion and lamb, right? How do we do this? How do we become both lion and lamb? We walk his path in imitation of him. This is from Matthew chapter four. Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. He said to them, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. He walked along from there and saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So we have to think about that. Like Jesus is calling to these complete strangers and they immediately go, right? They immediately go. You got to know like Zebedee is like, excuse me. Sons, what is happening right now? Like, he cannot be happy. They're just left the it and follow Jesus. But sometimes, like, when we're talking about, like, the Lord's going to make us fishers of men, that can be scary. Like, whoo, that feels like a lot of pressure. But one thing about being the lion and the lamb is we know it's actually not fully up to us, right? We have to give our yes. But Jesus does all the big work because who does he say will make you fishers of men? Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. The lamb and the lion is never something that we do on our own. It's Jesus who goes right to our heart. He asks us to detach from this world and follow him. So what does following Jesus look like? He called strangers to follow him, right? And not only did they leave their father behind, they left their nets. That was their livelihood. That was how they made a living. That's how they, you know, paid their house payment, whatever their house payment looked like back then, that's how they ate. Everything was involved in those nets in their boat. They left it all. They did not pack their nets away. They did not make a list, a solid plan. They didn't pack a lunch. They didn't coordinate all the details for their families. Like once they, they didn't do any of that. And they didn't even know him. Yet they immediately left it all behind. And only when Jesus was accompanied by his apostles did he begin doing the signs and wonders, right? He starts with the wedding at Cana, but only then when he's surrounded by his people where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. As we know, God has created us to be in community. He's hardwired us for connection. And then the absence of authentic connection, we suffer, we do. John Capicio, he researched his whole life. Loneliness, belonging, and connection. He has a book called Loneliness. His conclusion is that our neural, our hormonal, and our genetic makeup support interdependence, not independence. It supports interdependence. And this is what he said. To grow into adulthood as a social species, including humans, is not to become autonomous and solitary. It is to become the one on whom others can depend. God did not create us to walk alone. God desires our interdependence. Our strength comes from unity. Women, we are the crown jewels of God's creation. And when we're unified, those diamonds sparkle with light. And if you're a man listening to this podcast— You, too, are created for interdependence and community. And you and your brotherhood with other men sparkle light to the world as well. This is from the Catechism, paragraph 340. God wills the interdependence of creatures. The sun and the moon, the cedar and the little flower. No creature is self-sufficient. Creatures exist only in dependence on each other to complete each other in service of each other. So let's summarize that. We know that we are created for interdependence. Catechism says so, and so do the science researchers, right? We're created for interdependence. We know through scripture, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. Jesus promises, I'll be there. We also know that small groups are so powerful. When you see churches growing rapidly, it's because they know the power of leading small. You start with small groups and from there, those groups go into more groups and more groups, and then they meet on Sunday to worship together. Kingdom Builders developed their own small group material. And if you're interested in that, I just suggest you would go to our website, buildingthroughhim.com, and click on resources and you can find out more about it. But What we do is we look at our sacramental graces, our love languages, how are we created to love and be loved, our temperaments, and we allow ourselves just to grow in these holy friendships. Of everything we've done in Kingdom Builders, this is where we've seen the most fruit because we're so lacking community. We are so desperate for it and God created us for it. But oftentimes we feel exhausted. We feel like we're too busy Lack of time is the most common reason for not being in a small group. If you're listening to this right now and you're like, oh, small groups are for other people. No, they're not. They're for you. Every person should be in a small group where you're talking about holy things, where two or three are gathered in his name. There he is in their midst. Everyone listening to this should be in a small group. And if it's not a mosaic small group, that's fine. Find another small group where you're coming together regularly Is supporting one another, and you're looking into each other's eyes so that you know you are seen, heard, known, loved. You are supported because God created you to be supported and to support one another, right? There's this meme. It has the Grinch on it. And he says, being an adult is all about being tired, telling people how tired you are, listening to other adults tell you how tired they are. And I'm like, yeah, that's like so common. I think that's probably I don't know, half the conversations I have with my husband is the levels of exhaustion we have. We got a sleep number bed just to help my husband snoring. It did not help, by the way. But now we have to like look at our printouts every morning to get a number on how we slept. I'm like, oh, I was only at 72. Why was I not at a 90 like I was two nights ago? It's like, it's like more stress about being stressed out. I'm like, I can't deal with it. Like, but yeah, that, that's too stressful for me. But it's all about that exhaustion that becomes like a focus why are we so tired? Well, Harvard Business Review did an article on an organization that was researching companies that were reporting high levels of exhaustion. And what they found was that employee exhaustion was not due to the nature of the work. It was not due to the speed which they were required to work. The employees were exhausted because they were lonely. The loneliness was manifesting in a feeling of exhaustion. That's really powerful. Our loneliness manifests in a feeling of exhaustion. And so whether you feel exhausted and don't want to add one more thing to your to-do list, know that being in a small group is an activity that brings forth life. That is the life that will give you peace and joy to carry you through the times of strife and struggle. But what if it's not about busyness? You know, let's just be clear. There's multiple reasons people don't go into small groups. Maybe the enemy has convinced us that we don't belong or we're not smart enough or holy enough to be in a group. And we just have to be real with ourselves. Like we might be struggling with some mouse trauma, okay? Maybe we experienced hurt in our past, when we were in a small group or, you know, in a friendship. So right now, I just want you, if you're not driving, just to pause and close your eyes. If you're driving, do not close your eyes, right? I want you to ask the Lord to reveal anything that he desires to heal within you. I'm just going to ask the Lord, Jesus, reveal anything within me that you desire to heal. Jesus, is there any trauma we've experienced That's keeping us from holy and authentic connection. Okay. So we are now going to forgive that person. And forgiving someone doesn't mean what they did was okay. It just means you're going to entrust that person to the justice of God. You're just going to handle them over to the justice of God. So we're going to pray this together. When you get to the name, if you are with other people, you're going to say it so quietly. If you're alone, then you don't have to worry how loud you're going to say it. But we actually need to speak it. Okay? We have to speak it aloud. So you're going to speak after me in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I forgive. I forgive. Put the person's name there for the hurt that they have caused me. For the hurt that they have caused me. Good. Some of us will need to do this over many people, over many things. So sometimes we have to forgive the same person for many, many things. The more depth you get into forgiveness, the greater freedom you will experience. So now we're going to renounce any spirits or lies that would keep us from holy community. And we actually speak these aloud because demons cannot read our thoughts, right? They can look at our facial expressions, they see what we do, but they cannot read our thoughts. So we renounce it, we break that, we have the power to do that. We ask Jesus to remove it, and then we receive the Father's blessing. So you are going to repeat after me, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of self pity. I renounce the spirit of self pity. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of resentment. I renounce the spirit of resentment. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of bitterness. I renounce the spirit of bitterness. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Jesus. I renounce the spirit of hopelessness. I renounce the spirit of hopelessness. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of unworthiness. I renounce the spirit of unworthiness. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of shame. I renounce the spirit of shame. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of fear of rejection. I renounce the spirit of fear of rejection. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of timidity. I renounce the spirit of timidity. Okay, broke all those spirits. Let's remove some lies. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the lie that I'm alone. I renounce the lie that I'm alone. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the lie that I'm the only one who struggles. I renounce the lie that I'm the only one who struggles. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the lie that I need to do a few more things before I'm ready I renounce the lie that I need to do a few more things before I'm ready. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the lie that I'm not holy enough or smart enough to be in a small group. I renounce the lie that I'm not holy enough or smart enough to be in a small group. Okay, so you broke all of those lies and spirits, right? Like when you weed a garden, you pull them all out. Energy's asking Jesus to take his wheelbarrow and just to take him away. So you're going to repeat after me, Jesus, please take away these lies. Jesus, please take away these lies, these spirits and any related spirits, these spirits and any related spirits. Okay. So he took them away. So I have all these openings that you removed, these things. You're going to let the father just fill you with his goodness there. So you're just asking God, father, please fill me with your truth, joy, father, please fill me with your truth, joy. Boldness, trust and mercy. Boldness, trust and mercy with your love and your hope. With your love and your hope. Amen. Amen. So we know that we can do that anytime. We renounce it, Jesus removes it, and then receive the Father's blessing, right? We can do that anytime. I do it often. And then so anytime you're feeling that that static or chaos in your heart, stealing my peace and joy right now. And then you remove it. Like, mm, No, Satan, you don't get any part of who I am. You take care of it. You renounce, remove, receive, and it's gone. So another thing we have to recognize is that sometimes when things are scary, you know, being in a small group, like, oh, I don't even know these people. They feel scary because they're unfamiliar, not because we're incapable of doing them. And this happened to me as well, which you guys know I'm an extrovert. I love to talk. But when my son first went into seminary, I was a religion teacher. I was teaching middle school religion, and we went to this parent seminary night. And when we arrived, I could not get out of the car. My husband like gets out of the car and he's like staring at me, looking at me. And I, of course, I didn't tell him, but I was thinking to myself, all these other seminary parents are way holier than me, and they know the faith way better than me. I can't go in. Like I'm totally unworthy. It was before I knew the power of renounce, remove, receive. Otherwise, I would have employed it. But I didn't know it at the time. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And my husband's like, Marjo, what are you doing? So I wasn't going to tell him what I was was feeling. But I just decided that I would be silent. If I was quiet, no one would know that I wasn't holy enough or wasn't smart enough to be a part of this group. And so that's how I entered. That's how I convinced myself to be a part of it. And when I got inside, they were just normal people like me, okay? I'm like, oh my gosh, that was such a lie of the enemy. I didn't even know. I wasn't recognizing it as a lie of the enemy back then. I just thought it was, you know, just my own, you know, anxiety or whatever. But that's me as an extrovert and a religion teacher feeling nervous about meeting new people and being in a small group. So imagine the people who are more introverted and who are not religion teachers. Like, we have to recognize it can be scary. But the enemy wants to keep you from that. And we remember that often things feel scary because they're unfamiliar, not because we're incapable of doing them. You don't let the enemy have any barrier to keep you from being in community. That is you claiming the peace and joy that God died to give you, right? You're not going to let the enemy take that from you. No way, right? We know that God wills the interdependence of His creatures. We cannot know His love and His light and then hide it. We can't. That light is meant to be shared with others because light doesn't exist for itself. It exists to illuminate the way for others. And just like our brothers and sisters, the martyrs, the witnesses, they are a light. They light the way to either side of the consecration during Mass God is asking us to light the way, to welcome people into community, so that He can be there with us. This is from Matthew 5.16. Your light must shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Heavenly Father. If you would like more information about Kingdom Builders or would like to know how to bring this apostolate to your parish, please go to our website at buildingthroughhim.com and click Build With Us. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.